G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. Well, as a certain uh, football identity would say, what a big week in football it's been. We've got a lot to talk about today, all our usual segments, but a heap of news to get through. And uh, the men's season still a couple of months away. Of course, women's season has kicked off and we'll be talking about that very shortly. As I say, very good morning to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? I'm well, Rowan. Yeah, I feel as though we're embarking on a, a sort of the... Not, I'm not saying our previous episodes this year haven't been important, but this has a, a touch of gravity to it, the news this week, and also the first round of AFLW. So really getting our teeth stuck into footy. Oh, well, that's a, a, a nice phrase you've called out there because what do we enjoy getting our teeth stuck into? We love a bite of a perfect burger, but it won't get, they won't get stuck even if you've got the old dentures. Even if you were George Washington with the wooden dentures, you'd be able to make your way through those succulent meat patties that Rowan so beautifully describes. You'll get a bit of crunch, a bit of bite, on those fresh vegetables, the lettuce, the tomato, and they bead. I know, Rowan told me, he loves the buns. They're soft but firm, the way buns should be. And where does all this come together? In a symphony of burger brilliance? 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Andrews Hamburgers. Uh, I love the beading. I love the buns. I'll tell you what, something you wouldn't want to get your teeth stuck into, and that is a Nick Spartel's home renovation, Finey, because, uh, well, I mean, if you try to get your teeth stuck into the floors, you get electrocuted because they have heated floors. Yes, I don't know the, I don't know the method. I don't know whether it's electrical or I think, I think it's piped hot water, but this time of the year, that's not what we're worried about. We, we, we love the aspects because he's a real observer of when the sun goes up and when it goes down and makes great use, as all great architects do, of windows and light. Oh, the dappled light you get in a Spartel-built property. It's West Point properties. It's beautiful, beautiful stuff. Masters of home renovation. All right, we're getting straight into it today. Fasten your seatbelts, folks. This is going to be a big show. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Well, where do we start with the news this week? So much has happened, probably a lot more still to come, but uh, probably uh, biggest story of the week, finally, the, uh, well, let's not mince words, the schmozzle of the uh, Collingwood report into its reportedly uh, inherent racist culture. The report commissioned last year after Heredia Lumumba's 
allegations about the Magpies, uh, the report received by Collingwood pre-Christmas and then uh, somehow, despite the fact that uh, they promised its public release and uh, pretty quickly sat on until it was actually leaked in the Herald Sun and well done Michael Warner who broke that story. Uh, the Pies forced into a press conference uh, to issue a response and then, uh, fair to say, one of the great... Uh, press conference car crashes of all time, in my view, with Eddie, uh, well, trying to gild the lily a fair bit, I think it's, uh, it's fair to say, Eddie Maguire. And, um, well, now that's moved forward because last night the Pies had their AGM and Ed was uh, apologetic. Was he apologetic about the right things? Uh, I'm not convinced. Now, I've, I've had already had a fair bit to say on this. There's a column I wrote on the Footyology website, um, which is fairly strong. I'm hardly Robinson Crusoe there. He's copped an absolute public caning in the wake of this, Eddie Maguire. But uh, I haven't heard from you on this one, Finey. So how have you viewed this whole situation? I'll get on to my take on what has transpired over the last 48 hours or so in a moment, Rowan. But I think we even though you give quite rightly Mick Warner, who's a great bloke in the Herald Sun, credit for getting that leaked document. Well done to Footyology. We preempted this with an article that was published in Footyology. I wrote it, but you mentored and gave me a great deal of guidance in writing an article that outlined exactly what this report spoke about. It about a club, a number of incidents, and about a club that, when faced with the reality of racism, tends to protect itself rather than own up to its wrongdoings. And in a way, that takes me on to Eddie Maguire. And I'm sort of glad that his proud moment speech, full of gaffes, full of the wrong message was made because it sort of backs up exactly what that report said. The Collingwood doesn't get it from the top down. The Collingwood is more obsessed about Collingwood than it is about what it you know, blusters so proudly that they're community leaders and they'll set the way. I mean, bullshit. All right. Not- I, I just want to read the quote the report said to back up your point. Uh, the report said, Collingwood's response has often been perceived as one where claims of racism are dealt with in terms of damage control and protecting the brand rather than seeking to address issues and make change, which was uh, subsequently demonstrated beautifully. So... Again, they do it. And, I mean, you'll, I, I want to throw back to you why Eddie's, Eddie just doesn't get it. And you know what? For a bloke who is so professional, how's he making these gaps on a regular basis now? Well, maybe we've overrated Eddie. As Monty Byrne said of Homer Simpson, I may have overestimated this Simpson fellow. Well, uh, yeah, look, I, I'm, I, just to take on from that. I mean, it, it sort of demonstrates to me what uh, the issue of racism is now about because I think this the old school of thinking is that, well, you know, people by and large aren't racist now. We don't have much overt racism of the kind that, you know, some of these past on-field incidents were about where people have just been completely insulted directly on the basis of their colour. What it's about now is more an unconscious uh, prejudice. And I hate to say it, and I, I don't say that it's done maliciously, but I think Eddie 
time and again on this stuff sort of demonstrates that sort of unconscious prejudice. Um, and it happened during that press conference in, in several ways. First, there was the belief that he could um, lead with the positive out of it, which was that they were doing something about it before acknowledging why the report had been commissioned. Mistake number one. Then there was uh, what I thought was a very uh, enlightening moment late in the press conference where he talked about mishaps in the past. And he was quite rightly pulled up on that by a reporter uh, as, you know, does that trivialise what this is about? And, and he got he got shirty about it because he said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't bring the thesaurus. But if your instinctive response is to call these incidents mishaps, it shows that reflexively, instinctively, you underestimate the extent of the problem. And so it went on and on. And we, we as you say, I mean... Is he is he not as smart as we thought? Why does he keep getting into these situations? Because at some level, and and don't get me wrong here, this is a widespread problem. I, I would say I've been guilty of this on occasion, that it, it's your unconscious that sort of reveals what your sort of instinctive emotional uh, value system is about. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And... Yourself, myself, Eddie McGuire, and any any forty five plus, especially fifty plus, white Australian, male or female, is going to be caught in that in that paradigm. Look, the fact is, do we really want to be viewed by our children as behemoths, racist, um, uncivilized? Because my kids are and I'll use the word woke, they are so different to myself in thinking that I need and I am constantly rejigging the way I think. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's, it'll make for a better world, but more importantly, individually, it'll make for better people. Now, and, that's, and that means all of us have room for improvement, all of us. Can I just say there, it's spot on, but that that use of the word woke, even the way that that is used as a pejorative, as a term of insult by people who are sort of anti-progress, woke, I mean, what does it mean? It means you're awake to a changing dynamic. That isn't a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's not the phrase social justice warrior. It's used pejoratively. It shouldn't be. These are people changing their attitudes in the context of a modern, functioning, healthy society. And we think that we are being forced, not me personally, but our, our generation, I think, there is a sense that we're being forced into a, a way of thinking that isn't natural for us and some people are going kicking and screaming. And we act as though we're the first generation to be placed in that, you know, in that situation. Well, that's just wrong. Before us... People have had to come to terms with women's rights, women getting the vote, and a number of rights that we today just consider absolutely part of life were not necessarily the way people thought all through their lives, and they had to change their thinking. So we constantly evolve, and hopefully for the better. Now, taking it back to Eddie and Collingwood, I think you've made a, a really good point to me, and that is his apology 
about the word proud is completely off the mark. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah, well, it is. And, and okay, so this occurred last night. And in this sort of now established tradition, Eddie puts his foot in his mouth. Uh, there's a there's a blowback, and then he sort of issues a apology, uh, perhaps inverted commas around that for what he said or what he's done. It happened again last night, the Collingwood AGM, where he said it were, it, the use of the word proud was the wrong choice of word. But his explanation of that, I thought, was totally disingenuous. Eddie was claiming that people were upset of his about his use of the word proud because they inferred that he was saying the previous instances of racism were proud moments for the club. No, no one with a scintilla of intelligence could possibly think he was claiming that. It was obvious that what he was saying was he was proud of the fact that they had responded to this situation, commissioned a report, it it had made recommendations, they were going to implement them. And, you know, on that score, they probably have reason to be proud. The issue wasn't that at all. The issue was that people thought his attempt to make that the focus of the press conference rather than the acknowledgement uh, that this was, you know, a terrible episode of which they'd been part, that was, uh, you know, a, a masterclass in attempted PR spin. So, Ed, if come on, Ed. Like, if you sincerely think people thought you were saying you were proud of previous racism, that is just bullshit. And again, it reveals a mindset which sort of does indicate that on a fundamental level, you don't get it. And again, I say he is far from alone on that score. You know, spot on, except I don't think they've got anything to be proud of. What would they be, what would you be proud or you might say you're proud of a report that damns a club for what it's done, for what it's lack, what it hasn't done in response. And we're proud because in the future, we're going to do the right thing. You know what? Be proud in the future. And don't say that you're proud. Let the world look at your actions and praise you for it. Self-praise in this instance is unacceptable. There's no self-praise to self-praise to be garnered out of this story. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair point. I, I was just, I was, I was trying to find some light <laughs> in the endless tunnel of darkness that this story has provided. Uh, a quick one, just to finish off this discussion. Um, uh, you know, people were stronger than me in their commentary, and I, Mark Robinson, the Herald Sun, said that Eddie should resign his position immediately. I started thinking such was the, um, the the fierce reaction to that press conference that maybe that might happen, but uh, it doesn't look like it now. He, he has uh, very well-honed survival instincts, doesn't he? Yeah, not after Dan Andrews told him to carry on. That was interesting, interesting support. Um, look, I, I want to mention one other person that I'm regularly befuddled. You know, I'm, I'm confounded by this person's continued appeal in media. I'm sorry, it's just my opinion. But Peter Hellier, three years too late, comes out with an apology. He needed that report to tell him that his attack on Heredia Lumumba, who appeared on the panel and told his story. Now, in telling his story, Peter Hellier then grilled him 
mercilessly, name names or shut up. Don't besmirch the whole club. By the way, the club that Peter Hellier supports, the club that Peter Hellier has worked for in the guise of Strawny. So, yeah, a bit of bias there. Look, this is the same Peter Hellier that when the first reports of COVID hit our airwaves, it, one of the first was on the panel that told of a virus called the coronavirus in China that had claimed lives and the World Health Authority was telling the world to brace itself for what may be the spread of a major pandemic. And they cut back to Peter Hellier and his response was a gag holding a bottle of Corona beer and having a good laugh, even though the story was about Chinese deaths. So I thought that was a bad taste. I think three years waiting for a report three years later for an apology to Lumumba is way too slow as well, Peter. Poor form all round. Yeah, well, uh, just on Lumumba, uh, I think we should all, uh, this has also provided a bit of a lesson in media manipulation. And I think uh, a lot of people in the football media particularly will revisit their telling of Lumumba's initial complaints with a bit of uh, shame, I think, because, uh, you know, it was clear that certain people in the football world and within Collingwood particularly worked pretty hard to get out a narrative that uh, Heredia was a bit, uh, you know, a bit flighty and a bit sort of not to be taken uh, at his word. and um, A troublemaker. Yeah, and I, I think, what, you know, what sort of appears to be the case now, well, it, it has. It, this has been a moment of vindication for him and he's, he has shown amazing strength in, in dealing with the barbs that have come his way now for a good, what, five or six years. So, look, we'll wrap up this discussion there, but uh, I think you're going to be hearing a lot more about this and hopefully um, football as a game, uh, because, look, a lot of Collingwood people are saying it's not just us. I hate that whataboutism, but there's no doubt that these sort of inherent attitudes on matters of race are a huge problem across uh, across Australian society. So even if this provides a bit of think music for a lot of people on that score, it may have achieved something. And, now, Rowan, beyond race, let's not forget what I think was terrible treatment of Adam Trelaw post-season. Mm, yep. Yep. Yes. Yeah, similar vein. Similar vein. Yep. The club has to take responsibility. You stop beating its chest about being the biggest club in Australia and work on being a, a decent place for young men to play football and women. Yep. Yep. No, here, here. All right. Uh, like I said, heaps of news around. Uh, let's zip through a few things, but uh, we'll, we'll give them due importance because they are important. First one, um, which happened on Tuesday, may have come as a bit of a shock. It surprised me, that's for sure. It was the uh, Tom Scully's announcement of his retirement after uh, just two seasons at Hawthorne. Still, uh, you know, reasonably young in football terms. And uh, I think that caught a lot of people on the uh, back foot. Did that surprise you? Oh, well, a few days earlier, he... Uh announced that he was taking time away from the game. Uh, there were, and this is according to the club, issues in the marriage that he wanted to address. And it quickly became apparent that Tom Scully is ready for life beyond football. It's been an, it's been an amazing journey, hasn't it? It's been um, 
there's been a couple of great years for GWS and around it some sort of more more headlines and more furrowed brows than anything else, given his lofty um, entry into football as one of the, you know, one of the real star number one draft picks. Yeah, well, of course, uh, uh, hyper controversy about his move from Melbourne to GWS. The great pity, I think, is that, uh, you know, that was a shocking injury he had, that broken wig at the MCG. And that was right at the start of a season after he had played the best football of his career and proved such a, a damaging weapon for the Giants with that uh, tremendous run and endurance up and down the wing. And um, we've seen this happen a few times. There's something about broken wigs and uh, lower broken wigs, and it was a particularly bad break. Uh, it seems to be players seem to find it harder returning to full capacity from those sorts of injuries than even from, uh, we often talk about the old ACL, but... I reckon you've seen more players come back successfully from knee recos than you have from broken legs. That is a, a real, real issue, I think. Yeah, the ACL is not a problem now. It's it's time, but there's you'd, you'd be hard pressed to name a weakness in footballers that have done their ACL now. They come back good as gold, especially as long as they you know take the long route rather than the last. But the Broken leg is a problem, and it's a segue on to probably our next piece of news, which is St Kilda captain Jaron Geary again breaking his leg. And with the captaincy not announced at St Kilda, one wonders whether that opens the door for a change of guard and Jack Steele's announcement. Yeah, well, that would, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, you've got to... Gee, you got to feel sorry for Jaron. I mean, you know, he's he's been at that club, sort of came into the club just on the back end of their their great era, and sort of missed out in the the salad days, and has played through a pretty, you know, poor period for the club. Been a great leader over that journey, and now things are looking up again, and uh, he's done it for a, a second time. I, I guess people will be asking, given his uh, veteran status, whether. He will be able to come back from that. Is there a place for him there? Will he be, again, will he be returned to his best? And uh, they're not short of depth and talent now, the Saints. Will there be a spot there for him if and when he does come back? Yeah, I think he probably is not in the best 22 as Rick on paper, but you just saw how good he was in that first final against the Bulldogs. He plays, the captain plays but not if he's got a broken leg and can't play. So you're right. It puts him behind the eight ball. And even though the club said they expect him running in six weeks, it's a serious injury. And I wouldn't expect to see him in the first third of the season. Uh, It's a shame. And uh, whilst we are talking about injuries to uh, players of some vintage and uh, some worrying uh, thoughts, you'd think, for the two clubs concerned, uh, Buddy Franklin and Ben Brown. Buddy Franklin, we know, has been absolutely grounded by hamstring injuries, and now he's added a minor calf strain, but that's what they call it. I remember that he was out with a... When he first did his hamstring a season and three quarters ago, he was out for two weeks. That's only parlayed into 30. So the old man's injury, not a good sign for Buddy. And Ben Brown has not gone on the track for Melbourne and they are now seeking 
specialist intervention from outside the club to try and sort out his knee. And North Melbourne may have sold Melbourne what is proverbially known as a pup rowan. Mm, yeah, look, always a... Uh, it, it does make you wonder, people have been asking all summer, me included, why on earth did North let Ben Brown go? Well, perhaps uh, this might provide some explanation. So good luck to Ben. He's a lovely guy. We uh, Anyone who knows him uh, speaks well of him. So good luck in his rehab from that. But some anxious moments for the Demons during that recovery. All right. Well, uh, like I said, pretty crowded new schedule, but... The action has begun. We have the women's competition now underway and the men's competition looming. And we have three more clubs to preview their prospects in 2021. Let's do that now. Okay, round one of AFLW was held last weekend. Uh, I ended up watching, I think, six of the seven games, finally, and uh, I know the sceptics will roll their eyes and go, oh, here we go, pumping it up again. But I've got to say, again, I was really impressed with the standard. One thing I've definitely noticed, I mean, the, the rising standard from season one to now is patently obvious. But the thing that really caught my eye across all the games I watched was the depth of kicking now compared to even a couple of seasons ago. There are some genuinely long kicks uh, among the newer generations of AFLW players coming into the competition. And um, the ball movement, the speed of the ball movement, uh, I think I noticed that particularly with Brisbane in their win over Richmond at Punt Road. But uh, your thoughts on the, on the standard of uh, round one overall? Yeah, look, I agree entirely. The kicking becomes better as the girls and women that play have a background in football that is just a natural progression and we now have a pathway that takes young girls including our own daughters through football at the junior level and then on to senior level if they want to the for me the big the big room for improvement and the place where i'm seeing it is the evasive skills you know that we don't want to see you know girls sort of ground to a stop and and those who came to the sport say from netball or basketball have a tendency to get the ball and not necessarily naturally get on their bike as footballers do. But we are seeing vast improvement in ball movement and evasive skills. And I'll tell you one thing that's always been good and remains outstanding is the mark pack marking ability of these girls. If you bemoan the lack of pack marking in AFL, then for that reason alone, watch AFLW. There are some powerful marks, one grabbers, good contested marking is, uh, uh, to me, a hallmark of AFLW. Yeah, spot on. Look, I'll, I'll just quickly whip through uh, the results. Collingwood beat Carlton by a goal. Um, and Chloe Malloy uh, delivered a, a fantastic burst of power football for the Magpies, helped them over the line. Uh, Mate, was it 4-3 to nothing at halftime? Uh, yeah, the Blues, the Blues hadn't scored. Um, I, I thought in terms of standard, the Friday night game might have been the pick of the round. That was St Kilda and the Western Bulldogs. And a great win to your Saints. And a great moment too. We have seen a lot of sort of great moments in AFLW and fantastic picture taken by photographer Michael Wilson 
of Western Bulldogs coach Nathan Burke embracing his daughter Alice, who was making her debut for St Kilda. Uh, that was just a wonderful picture. There's fantastic camaraderie in AFLW between yeah, everyone, and it's really noticeable, isn't it? Yeah, Rowan, do you want me to make a confessional? Yes. On Friday night, I don't think the best team won. Oh, okay. You thought the Bulldogs were better? I think they're a better team. They've got really good marking forwards. St Kilda were great. They were game, but 26 free kicks to six. I certainly didn't see it in the way the game played out. It just, I don't know, the things really went St Kilda's way. I've got to admit it. That, yeah. that, that to me was the difference. Yeah, well, the Bulldogs underperformed last year. I think they won the first game of the season and then failed to win another one. So um, yeah. that was a, the other thing that's emerged from this round for me. The, the sides who were good last year look like they're going to be just as good this year, chief among them. Uh, Fremantle, who had a, a big win over GWS. And that they, speaking of marking ability, they've got a gun up forward in uh, Gemma Houghton. She was absolutely but terrific for the Dockers. I mean, it's, she's a great target, but when she gets the ball, she's speedy. Yeah. Oh, boy, she is. I mean, I've got to say, I was really impressed by Ellie Blackburn of the Bulldogs. There's a few stars in this competition. I mean, real stars. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I want to highlight one emerging star too for Brisbane, uh, young Courtney Hodder, um, yep. who uh, she young Indigenous star early on playing footy, uh, got out of the code to go and play rugby for a while, and she's back now playing footy. Boy, she got some uh, some weak speed and uh, a tiny, she's like 150-something centimetres, but kicked a fantastic goal for Brisbane, and her kicking was beautiful, real smart football brain. So look out for Courtney Hodder. And yep. in terms of individual dominance of a game, well, the no doubt the most power-packed performance of the, of the round was North Melbourne destroying Geelong 11-5-71 to 1-3-9. But the start of that game, big uh, ruck woman forward Emma King, um, her first quarter performance, she kicked three goals, from eight possessions and won nine hitouts. Uh, absolutely dominant performance. And North Melbourne, um, they've been stiff so far over the last couple of years, just sort of uh, for one reason or another, just missing out. I think this could be the year the Roos uh, in the women's side of the football ledger, at least, uh, really make their presence felt on the competition. Well, you're right. Emma King was fantastic. St Kilda shouldn't worry about going for Ben King to join Max. Go for Emma. Get her in the get uh, AFLW. But as good as she was aerially, they've got this girl, Ellie Gavalis, uh, who's a, a powerhouse forward, and she absolutely wrought havoc. Now, I don't know whether Geelong are going to be a great team. They struggled last year, so maybe it was easy pickings. But my Saints face North Melbourne on Sunday. That'll be a real test. And you know who Gavalis actually reminds me a bit of? Another no. North Melbourne AFL player in Cameron Zerha. Power pack forward, knows the goals and really is a magnet, a ball magnet up forward. Hopefully for her, a better haircut. <laughs> yeah, that's, you couldn't be worse. Actually, you're sporting a bit of a Zerha. I know our listeners can't see it, but I like it. Well, no mullet, but it's it's pretty short. I'm, I'm close to Goma Pyle status i think at the moment but uh, anyway probably fewer people that see that the better you look like you've enlisted rowan 
which is, is that's the case that runs contrary to your upbringing, by the way. Well, yes, the only enlisting I've been doing is in the domestic core, Fanny, and I'll elaborate on that fairly shortly. An impressive <laughs> round one, though, for AFLW. Um, let's cross our fingers that things are able to proceed relatively normally because, uh, of course, Perth having their issues with coronavirus, that will impact on the uh, schedule. Um, but let's hope we can keep seeing plenty more of what we saw on the first weekend of AFLW. All right, that is the women's side of the AFL ledger. We have three more men's clubs to preview. Let's do that now. Okay, if you've been following these reviews, we're doing three teams a week. Last week, we did the G's, Geelong, Gold Coast and Greater Western Sydney, which means, Hawk fans, we're up to your club now, Hawthorne. We're a happy team at Well, they are in, uh, in a modern context, pretty unfamiliar territory at the moment. The Hawks, hard to believe this when you look at it, but uh, the ladder doesn't lie. They finished 15th on the ladder last year with just five wins, 12 losses from that abbreviated schedule of 17 games. Uh, list changes, well, they've lost a fair whack of experience. Um, who have they picked up? Well, Kyle Hardigan. Key defender from Adelaide, of course. He comes into the mix, along with Tom Phillips from Collingwood. And uh, courtesy of the draft, they have a highly rated Western Australian junior key position player, Denver Granger Barras from Swan Districts. Seamus Mitchell, they've picked up from Bendigo Pioneers. Connor Downey from Eastern Rangers. Tyler Brockman from Subiaco. Jack Saunders from Norwood. The outs. Big names here. Skipper Ben Stratton has retired. Of course, Ben McAvoy being appointed Hawthorne captain to replace Stratton. Isaac Smith, tremendous servant out there on a wing. He has gone down to the Cattery. Paul Puopolo retired. James Frawley retired and then promptly picked up by your Saints. Connor Glass retired, going back to Ireland. Ricky Henderson Got some decent service out of old Ricky. The Hawks, he has retired. Darren Minchington has retired and delisted. Will Golds, Jackson Ross, Harry Jones, Matthew Walker. Hawks, and we say it every year, they do have the coaching genius of Alistair Clarkson. So that's probably worth several goals per game. But, uh, yeah, you look at the list now, it's not what it was, Fanny. They are absolutely in a period of... Uh, attempted regeneration. How do you see their prospects? Will you add Tom Scully to the retirements? Oh, sorry. Yes, yes. Remiss of me indeed. Italy this season. Gunston expected to miss at least half the season. A huge question mark on Patton, of course, who's taken time away from the game uh, for mental health issues. But, of course, he has other serious issues and potentially charges to face. So they are, I am, they are my tip to finish last. Not to say that the year will necessarily be a disaster in terms of their development moving forward, but I just don't think they've got to have the personnel either front or back to 
hammer out much of a contest this season. The big problem is also a midfield that will be ably led by the brave McAvoy. He was thinking of calling it quits at the start of, at the end of not 2020, but 2019. So he's now captain. Tom Mitchell's return from a broken leg has not been as well as it was before. He's not the same player. And you made that point. It seems to be the injury that does bring careers to a halt or certainly puts a, a dampener, a black cloud over a career like no other injury, a serious broken leg. So Mitchell has that to face. Um, O'Meara was not great last season. Not terrible, but not great. He's going to have to find another gear. I just can't see where the lift comes from. Warple, consistent. He was okay. He's a good player, Warple. Good trier. Up forward, you know, they've got... What have they got, young... Mitch Lewis or Lewis Mitchell. Whichever one you want. They'll need both of them. They'll need both of our players, Mitchell Lewis and Lewis Mitchell. Rowan, I'm shocked I'm going to say this, but Hawthorne to turn the the clock back, unfortunately, before 1961 and um, all the way back to the dim, dark days of the Maybloom. So I think they're going to finish last. Yeah, look, it's a big call, but the more you argue your case, the more I'm, I'm starting to be convinced. I, I think I've certainly got them bottom four because, as, as we said at the outset, there's a, a fair hit uh, taken by that list in terms of experience. But as you rightly point out, even among those that remain, there are seasons being compromised before they've begun left, right and centre. My biggest issue with them in terms of even the future is the amount of young talent coming through. Now, there's, in fairness, there's a bit. I think Will Day was a definite bright spot for him last year. Um, Jack Scrimshaw started to show a bit. Harry Morrison I quite like. James Cousins, uh, Ollie Hanrahan. But is that enough? You know, I, I think their midfield is definitely thin indeed. You mentioned Mitchell perhaps not quite where he was. William Shields, great, solid performer, no doubt about that. But is he you know, a match winner. Um, and again, it's it's going to come down to some familiar names. I mean, Luke Bruce, always a huge plus for them. But there just, there isn't enough star factor there anymore. And, um, you know, it had to happen. But I don't, I, I don't think there's any great shame in this to the Hawks. They had a wonderful spell at the top of the ladder. They delivered a flag hat trick. But that's a fair while ago now. You know, it's six years ago and time marches on. And in propping up that era, they paid uh, perhaps necessary price in concentrating on trading at the expense of drafting enough young talent. And I think we're seeing the full ramifications of that now. Would you swap where they are now for the three premierships? Of course you wouldn't. So, you know, I, I don't think Hawthorne supporters should be too... Um, what's the word, you know, angst-ridden about where they are now. They're paying what I think is an inevitable price for, in a way, delivering success that the club hadn't seen before, Premiership Patrick. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough season for the Hawks. I agree. The system works. Yes, it does. It does. Um, where will the system leave the next team for our review? That is Melbourne. It's a grand old flag. It's a high-flying flag. It's the emblem for me. 
One of the great enigmas of the competition in recent times have been the days, of course, preliminary finalists, 2018, absolute nightmare of a 2019. 2020, well, somewhere in between moments where they really did deliver on their potential, uh, moments that cost them tremendously. And, of course, that uh, ill-fated trip to Cairns where they lost to the Swans and lost to Fremantle, which probably cost them finals. In the end, their 2020 record finished ninth on the ladder with nine wins and eight losses. Um, not a huge amount of change list-wise, although we talked about one before and it wasn't good news. Ben Brown in from North Melbourne, now fully fit. He could be a wonderful asset for them, but uh, as we discussed, will he be able to get fully fit? Also joining the Demons via the draft, Jake Bowie from Sandringham Dragons, Bailey Laurie from Oakley Chargers, Fraser Rosman from Sandringham Dragons. The outs, Oscar McDonald delisted. Harley Bennell retired. Mitch Hannon, uh, some might have raised a few eyebrows at that one. He's off to the Western Bulldogs. Backup Ruckman Braden Pruce off to GWS. Cade Collar-Jasney retired after some concussion issues. And delisted Kyle Dunkley, Corey Wagner, Josh Wagner. Not a great day for the Wagner family. And Aaron Nitschke uh, delisted. Uh, where do you think the Ds will finish up, Finey? The, unfortunately, I know that the legal system in Australia says you're innocent till proven guilty, but as far as I'm concerned, Melbourne's always guilty till proven innocent. In other words, I don't trust them because in my life following football, they've just not delivered really ever. A couple of seasons where they've made the grand final only to be the two poorest grand final performances almost in my life with Port Adelaide's. So it's it's a club that tends to sort of, unfortunately, gravitate to mediocrity. Now, their big, the big cause for optimism was going to be Ben Brown because that forward line desperately needs a large key figure, along with Wiedemann, who definitely improved last year. Last year was his step forward. So there's something there, but not as the one-out tall forward. No way. Too much pressure, too hard. Each club has got a good tall backman and they know how to go two up against one tall forward. Makes it very difficult for Wiedemann if Brown doesn't play. Their midfield has a sameness about it. Of course, the other big story last year was Petrarca. Well, he was fantastic. But otherwise, it's a more an in and under midfield. The spread not there. Tomlinson was never going to work as a wingman. Ed Langdon did. Ed Ed Langdon did. Langdon was great. That's the sort of run you need. And you know what? Langdon's not a superstar, but there's so little run at Melbourne that he stood out and looked like an absolute jet. Well done to him for keeping on keeping on. Little sort of energizer bunny. Um, They've got got a a little bit of promise. I like Kaziah Pickett. Well, he just needs to round off his good work with goals rather than points and marks rather than almost marks. But I think that might come. He could be an absolute standout. It's more cream on the top, though, for Melbourne. The basic building blocks of a top team aren't there from where I sit. That's not to say they're a bad team because they certainly have some effective 
now sort of real quality midfielders, even though there's a sameness outside Petrarca, you can't deny that Oliver's a good footballer, Gorn's a good footballer, and Viney are good footballers. Um, Brayshaw, his role is more problematic to me. Well, look, from where I sit, given the strength of the teams in the eight and the fact that I, I see other teams more likely pressing for spots in the eight, I leave Melbourne out and have them 10th to 14th. Yeah, I think I've got them in the same bracket too. And interesting, as you were talking about their weaknesses, they are effectively the same weaknesses we've spoken about now for probably the last three years. Um, it, it is a good in and under midfield. There's no doubt about that, led by Oliver, um, the likes of Jack Viney. But uh, for the amount of ball they win, they don't get enough bang for their buck up forward. I think they did probably improve their uh, delivery up forward last year. I mean, the season before, they were just chronically dysfunctional in, in terms of um, amount of scoreboard pressure applied uh, for the amount of inside 50 entries. That was cleaned up a bit uh, last season. In fact, they finished eighth in the competition for goals per inside 50 um, after being seventh for overall inside 50. So that's a, a better return for the opportunities that they created. Wiedemann, as you say, I think really started to show a bit. But is there enough there to help him, particularly with a question mark on Brown's fitness? Probably not. And I mean, then Rich yeah, sort of, uh, uh, he'd be complimentary in a good forward line, but I don't think he makes a good forward line, if you know what I mean. No, and I think um, they'll also be very, very anxious about the durability of their skipper too in Max Gorn, not because he's not durable, but if he goes down, now that Braden Proust has uh, moved elsewhere, it leaves the very raw Luke Jackson as the only genuine sort of backup ruck option uh, that that could be in a world of pain if Max Gorn's injured. So they'll have fingers crossed there. One interesting one for me will be Neville Jetta because he's been an absolute stalwart for them, but really uh, struggled last year. And, um, you know, to the point where he's sort of struggling to justify a spot in their best side. So uh, I still think he's capable of playing some really good footy. So uh, that will be watched with some interest as well. Um, yeah, look, I think there's talent there. Is there enough to warrant a spot in the final eight? Not by my count. So join in the chorus and sing it one and all. Join in the chorus. The final club for review this week, North Melbourne. And uh, as usual, not unusually, um, the predictions about North are fairly dire. I think uh, probably not for the first time a popular favourite, perhaps, for the Wooden Spoon. I'm a little bit more buoyant about the Roos than some people, and that's probably not for the first time either. But I think they've recruited particularly well in terms of ready-made senior talent, and I think that can make a big difference. Let's have a look at those list changes. Of course, a disastrous 2020. They finished 17th with just three wins and 14 losses, um, two of those three wins coming early in the piece. But the list changes are significant. Coming into the mix, Jaden Stevenson from Collingwood. Good pickup, I think. Aiden Core from GWS. Another good pickup. Lockie Young, Western Bulldogs. Can play. Hasn't had much opportunity. Artu Bosnavalagi from Collingwood. Uh, again, hasn't had the opportunity. Could make the most of it. This one particularly interesting for me. Connor Menadieu 
formerly of Richmond, now or more recently at Werribee, never actually got the chance to play for them. But he has some talent and obviously at Richmond, harder to get a game there than anywhere. So I think he could be valuable for them. Will Phillips, very highly rated draftee from Oakley Chargers. Tom Powell from Sturt. Charlie Lazaro from Geelong Falcons. Phoenix Spicer from South Adelaide. Eddie Ford from the Western Jets. Patrick Walker from North Hobart. The outs, they are considerable. Ben Brown, off to Melbourne. Sean Higgins, being uh, North's best player over the last few years, I think without question, he has gone to Geelong. Jamie McMillan delisted. Mason Wood delisted. Majak Dorr delisted. Ben Jacobs delisted. Terrible concussion issues for Ben Jacobs. Marley Williams delisted. Jasper Pittard delisted. Paul Hearn Ed Vickers-Willis, Sam Durden, Tom Murphy, Lachlan Hosey and Joel Crocker all delisted. That is a fair amount of change, Finey. Do you see it having any positive impact? Yeah, I do. I'm like you. I think that there is a ray of hope for North Melbourne. First of all, Ben Cunnington's training. That is hugely important. They cannot afford, as we saw, to be without Ben Cunnington. Uh, he's back on track. Fingers crossed, but if he plays every game, that's a big improvement. Nick Larkey was a plus last season. They're going to have to rejig the forward line. But as you said, they've got some new players in the team. Uh, The inclusion of Stevenson sort of came as a, on a platter to them. I'm not saying that Stevenson would have picked out North Melbourne, but he's looking forward to the challenge. That'll mean that their forward line will play very differently because we know that he's a fast leader out of the goal square, very pacey. He'll have to add some strings to his bow. But, you know, they finished last season, albeit not winning games, with some promising, you know, with, with some sort of view to the future that is not all negative. As Of course, the change of... The fact that they've had to replace the coach isn't ideal, especially because the incumbent really wasn't part of the max axing. So it's a bit messy, but I think in the end they've done the right thing and they can move on. And I have them, I've got them specifically 16th or 15th. I'm, I'm going to uh, go out in a bit of a win here. I think they could actually finish higher than that bottom four. That's not too much of a win, is it? Let's be honest. But uh, I can see them sort of finishing in that upper to middle bracket of the bottom half of the eight. Um, and another, all those reasons you've just cited. But I think they they have a couple of guys in particular who I think could take massive steps next year. One of them started to... I think at the end of last season, Luke Davies Uniac, you know, very highly rated junior. It's taken him a while, but we really started to see him grow in confidence. And Taron Thomas, I don't think people are aware just how talented this kid is. And I think now, you know, there's a couple of seasons under his belt. I reckon he's ready to really ramp it up a fair bit. Plus, you've got some other guys who have had injury issues, but just need a clear run at it. Taylor Garner, very good example of that. And Jai Simpkin. You know, for a, a young bloke, well, still relatively young, um, he's very underrated, isn't he? I think uh, people beyond Arden Street don't realise just how crucial he is to their prospects. So, um, look, North supporters, uh, they get 
pretty narky on the constant predictions of doom and gloom, and I think sometimes that's quite justified. But be heartened, North fans. I think uh, myself and Finey are a fair bit more bullish about your chances in 2021 than a lot of um, footy observers. Just quickly on a couple of those players, Rowan, interesting that you mentioned um, Taron Thomas, first of all. Look, he's got to get more of the ball, but his touches are exquisite, aren't they? And they don't necessarily count in the possessions column. I'm talking about taps and creativity. You're right. He's If he can just see more of the ball, because almost every time he sees it, something happens. And that'd be great for Stevenson to work off. But Jai Simpkin, beneficiary probably of the unfortunate loss of Cunnington, stepped up to be a real underrated AFL quality midfielder. So you're right. There's cause for some optimism there. I just wonder what they've got in terms of depth, because a lot of those players that we saw delisted may not be superstars, but they certainly sort of fill out a list, don't they? So we'll just see as the season wears on, whether beyond the 22 that they put on in round one, whether they can back it up with the next six or seven players. Well, there you have it. Uh, Reviews of three clubs. I think uh, we all tend to, uh, all being both of us, tend to agree are probably bottom four material, maybe a little bit beyond that. But our next three teams, and if you uh, are familiar with the alphabet, and I'm assuming all our listeners are, you will know I'm talking about Port Adelaide, Richmond and St Kilda. I think it's fair to say we expect a little more return from those three in 2021. Look out for that next week. That is a record finding, our longest news segment ever, packed full of information. And we now have some life observations packed with goodness, intrigue, and something else that eludes me for the time being. Life Hacks, building a better world. Also breaking new ground, we're going to deliver our Life Hacks this week in a triple-headed format, Finey, which means I'm rattling off my three. You will then respond with your three. My life hacks this week are as follows. Not for the first time, I have been appalled by the standard of free-to-air television. No, I haven't watched this garbage, but I have seen a couple of promos for it and a couple of social media clips. I'm talking about, holy moly, the latest in crappy reality TV a series of adults uh, play some sort of combination of mini golf and obstacle course negotiation. And uh, as I'm fond of saying, finally, hilarity ensues. No, it doesn't. It is absolute garbage, this. Perhaps the most depressing part of this is that almost one million people across the country tuned in for the start of Holy Moly. What is going on, people of Australia? We've got HBO, we've got Netflix, we've got Stan, we've got SBS on demand. The quality of programming on streaming services has never been higher. And you want to watch a bunch of grown-ups in stupid gear negotiating blown-up jumping castles whilst playing mini-golf. What the hell is going on? Big thumbs down to -to free-to-air TV programmers. My second life hack on a very costly note, literally. You know, um, there's two sort of ways of of living your life. One is to uh, constantly look out for um, 
your possessions within your home and look after them and, and make sure that they last the distance. The other one is to forget about all that and just thrash them to within an inch of their lives until you have to do something about it. Uh, unfortunately, I fall into the latter school, Finey, and that has proved incredibly costly to me over the last couple of weeks to the extent I am currently living on bread and water. I speak of two items, the swimming pool. Yep, absolutely let that go over the winter to the point, and I kid you not, you want to film a follow-up to the creature from the Black Lagoon, you would have filmed it at our house because the water was literally black. You could not see uh, the bottom of the pool with any sort of uh, seeing device. Well, I've had it fixed up, and uh, what did it cost me? Well, by the time all the cleaning was done, the draining of the pool, refilling, scrubbing, uh, deoxidizing, disinfecting, whatever, two and a half grand that has set me back. And I thought, well, there's the major expense out of the way for the next uh, 12 months or so. But it was not to be because I do exactly the same thing with my cars. As you know, I'm a rather partial to a Holden Commodore onto about my fifth in a row now. And this one's newer than most. Have I looked after it? No, of course. I've treated it with the same disdain. I treat all my vehicles to the point where the other day I was driving and as I applied the brakes, the ominous grinding, crunching sound finally informed me that the car was probably due for a bit of service. No problem. A few hundred bucks. That's all it'll be. Oh, no. Got the call late afternoon. The ominous call from the mechanics. Uh, we've got a bit of an issue, mate. All four brakes need to be replaced. Oh, dear. So full service, full brake repair. Look, Great job they've done, uh, the people at uh, Chadston Motors. Uh, they cleaned my car. It looks like new. It's driving beautifully, but set me back a cool one and a half grand. I'm telling you, folks, look after your possessions because if you don't, you will pay through the hip pocket. Final life hack for me this week. Uh, well, I've, uh, I probably shouldn't be airing this publicly, but uh, we are looking to sell our house. Uh, we're doing it privately, but we've had a, a number of people come and have a look over the place uh, on the last couple of weekends. I don't know how I feel about that. There's something about the people, hordes of people traipsing through the sanctity of your home, which makes me feel a bit uncomfortable particularly last Saturday when I went to leave the house for the inspection and there was actually a dozen or so people standing in my front yard waiting for the doors to open. It also makes me feel uncomfortable because as you're sitting there pondering a dozen or so people traipsing through your house and possessions, you're wondering, oh God, is there any embarrassing stuff that I've left lying around? Those old porno mags? No, no, I'll put them away. The used Macca's cheeseburger wrapper? No, I'm pretty sure I put that in the bin. I've got so paranoid about this, Finey, that I, uh, Scouts Honor, started panicking last week about whether the toilet rolls had been hung on the bog roll holder with the toilet paper facing out or in because <laughs> I am a definite out man. The toilet paper's got to be hanging out. I agonised about that for the next 15 minutes. Well, until I reassured myself, that the fate of our house, it was probably not going to cost us a couple of hundred grand because I had the toilet paper hanging the wrong way. But 
it's made me very anxious. And uh, yeah, that's probably something I need to seek urgent help about. They are my life hacks. I'd now like to hear yours. Holy moly. Okay. Life hack number one. Uh, I returned to a retail outlet, a supermarket of sorts, having not been there for many years on the weekend. And I forgot some golden rules that I would like to share with our listeners. Uh, my wife and I and three children, three out of the four kids went to Costco. And believe me, if you take three kids and you go before you've had lunch, that puts the cost in Costco. I'm happy to tell you what we spent. It was enough probably to educate a child for a full year at a state school. Close to $1,000. Everything looks so good. Big packets of everything. I mean, we needed giant packets of beef jerky. I, I, I needed to get, you know, 42 prawn dumplings. And, of course, the kids, everything they saw, they wanted. Wow, look at that. Look at the size of the peanut butter. Look at the size of the Vegemite. So if you need peanut butter or Vegemite, if we do have a sort of end-of-the-world nuclear-type attack here in Australia, come over to my place because I've got the half of the world's Vegemite now on my shelves. By the way, there's no shelf space for all this stuff. I mean, Costco is a dead-set trap if you've got big eyes and a credit card. So careful, don't take your kids to Costco. Eat before you go or you'll end up like me. Boy, oh boy, have we got some food to get through. Number two, you know, I'll give any sport a go and there's some live cricket on TV at the moment, not a lot. Do you know what's on at the moment, Roman? Uh, I don't. It's from Abu Dhabi. It's the T10 competition. Uh. And I'll tell you the T10 is absolute rubbish. It's a bridge too far. Look, I can accept T20. There's a modicum of structure in a T20 innings. You know, you don't want your top three batsmen just to go in there and go out. There is some sense of putting together 20 overs. T10 is friggin' rubbish. Every player comes in and swings as hard as they can. Every bowler pretend, you know, every fast bowler is bowling off pace. Nobody wants to bowl quick. And there's no innovation. I'll, I'll say this about the BBL. I don't, I don't like it. But what they did with the power play was good. And there's a few little tricks in, of, of the, that they've included. This is, at least they should have had maybe an eight or something or a 12. I don't know. Do something of interest. Because this was, it's just, you know how bad it is, right? <laughs> the, the, competition like they have games on the back of each other so it's not like one t10 it's like a game's over another game begins and i tell you this i was watching it and i couldn't work out which game which innings belong to which game I, I started to lose track of like who was playing who it was just this procession of i don't know why i watched it but i hoped it didn't prove T10 is a step too far, mate. It is absolutely terrible. That's hack number two. Have you seen it? I wouldn't bother. No, don't. Do not bother. Ben, Dun there were a few Australians playing. Ben Duncan, but mainly players from the subcontinent. 
that was okay, but just the quality was the, the idea is terrible. And finally, number three. Now, we've got a great, two great dogs. One's aging, and we've got this magnificent Border Collie called Willow. She's an absolute ripper. But Border Collies need to be always kept exercised or challenged mentally. So she's got a lot of toys. And she loves playing tug of war with these toys, which is a bit of a test. But the toys she seems to favour, we just realised when we had my family over for dinner last Friday. They all look like sex toys. Now, I don't know how we got to that point, but they're all sort of long and knobby and rubbery and plasticky and glow-in-the-darky and a bit, I don't know, they just, they look like a collection of things you put in orifices. And my nephews picked up on it and started passing them around the table. And my 90-year-old mother had no idea what was going on. But as she was sort of being handed one of Willow's toys to the next, photos were taken. And may I say, they are totally, and I, I say this to my, my family, they are totally in bad taste and send them through because I want something. You just cannot get through an episode of this show without some form of sexual illusions, can you? What? My family. Mm. I, I swear, I never even thought about it. You buy them one at a time, you don't think of it. But then when you see them all lined up, it does look like something out of a sexy land cabinet. Does the dog have a permanent smile on its face? No, but my mother was very hard to get her to look. <laughs> Uh, I, I've got to say, just very quickly, your first life hack, you mentioned the prawn dumplings and uh, my, my ears pricked up because that has become the most indispensable item on my shopping list, the KB frozen prawn dumplings. I get two packets. You get about, uh, you get about 40 per pack. I buy two packs. They're not cheap. They're uh, at Woolies. They're about 20 bucks a pop, I think. But, um, geez, they're good. I didn't have a look what my kids were putting in the box. We bought 96 ginger prawn dumplings. Oh, yeah. No, no, excellent, excellent form of fast food. All right. That is Life Hacks for this week. Um, time now to revisit a year in the this week, not too dim, distant past. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Okay, we have just three years left. Um, I'm not going to tell you what the other two are, but this is as recent as this segment has got. We are going back to, it's still more than a decade now, but 2010 is our year for review this week in terms of music, movies, TV and football memories. Now, music's an interesting one, Finey, because fair to say, whilst just about any year I can pick something and say, oh, that was fantastic, that came out this year. I don't know, something about 2010, it just didn't suit my taste in music. Now, people may say, what are you talking about? That was the year that uh, Miley Cyrus released uh, Pierce Nipples 4, the sequel, um, but not, not the genres that I'm into. It was pretty slim pickings. And this is what I've come up with eventually. Stone Temple Pilots' comeback album, which was self-titled, funnily enough, up to about their fifth or sixth album, they went the self-titled 
option, but uh, uh, interesting trouble band. I've always loved this band. I think their debut album, Core, is one of my favourites, um, but constantly plagued by uh, the late Scott Wheeland, the frontman and uh, terrific singer, but uh, a bit of a car crash as a human being, constant battles with drug addiction to the point where the band split up in 2003. They uh, decided to reform about five years later, and this album was the first uh, recording that they did after Reformation. And um, in typical fashion, it all blew apart pretty soon after this, and they ended up firing Scott Whelan from the band. But this album, in terms of where they'd been, his issues and the length of the layoff, it was actually nine years between studio albums, this is a pretty reasonable effort, I reckon, and it's more in keeping with uh, probably their second album, Purple, which I think is a fan favourite. Uh, Wheeland actually got clean for this album and sobered up, got off the booze, the result being that his incredible vocal range is really showcased on this record. My favourite tracks, the first single off this, Between the Lines, I think is pretty good. Take a Load Off was also a single, really liked that song. And another couple of favourites off this album, Hickory Dichotomy and Peacoat. Um, if you're familiar with Stone Temple Pilots, uh, this one is worth checking out. If you're not familiar with them, um, I'd start with other albums, but this one, I'm telling you, they were a band that at their best were tremendously in sync. It's almost got a bit of a country influence about it, this album and a bit of a showcase in sort of glammy 70s-type pop uh, rock, I meant. But they do come up with poppy sensibilities for a rock band. This was the last the initial um, uh, lineup of the band had to produce. Scott Wheeland, of course, sadly, no longer with us. But uh, this was a reasonable legacy to bow out with for him. Stone Temple Pilots, self-titled. Your music offering for 2010, fine. It's just a single, albeit one that was um, sort of recovered, reworked and remixed by various others. And if you listen to it, you wouldn't think it's something that, I guess I was 45, 44 back then that I'd be into, but I actually quite like it. It's a song called Teenage Crime by a dance music producer and DJ from Sweden called Adrian Lux. It was taken up by uh, a Swedish, very popular Swedish dance um, sort of trio, I think it is, producing dance music called Swedish House Mafia. And it's a, I know it's, it's, it's sort of a, a, not a high energy dance song. So it's a start of the night track. Some people will be familiar with it. It's actually got a bit of a controversial history here in Australia because it was used by Greenpeace in an advertisement that they used to highlight um, container wastage by Coca-Cola. And Channel 9, beholden to Coca-Cola, banned the ad. Obviously more worried about the money coming in from Coca-Cola Amatil than Greenpeace trying to clean up the ocean. So quite controversial, but they use Teenage Crime as the music background to the song. It's got a really interesting film clip. The film clip shows a mother from a, a normal sort of conservative family slipping out at night, going to a nightclub and picking up 18-year-old hipsters. So 
Good film clip. All right, uh, let's move on to movies. And uh, there are a couple I could have chosen in 2010. In the end, I've done this a lot. I do like my sort of uh, comedy slash taking the piss. Uh, I didn't see this movie at the time. In fact, I didn't see it till probably, oh, geez, I don't know, about seven or eight years later. But it is pretty good. Um, and I'm speaking about the, how would you define this movie? I'm calling it a buddy cop action comedy piss take, and it's called The Other Guys. And uh, I'll tell you what, there haven't been many better casts assembled in recent times for what is a pretty frivolous exercise. Um, what is the cast? Well, uh, what do you reckon about this? Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg, Michael Keaton, Eva Mendes, Steve Coogan, Samuel L. Jackson and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. That's a pretty decent lineup. And um, this is a pretty decent film. Certainly made me laugh out loud a lot. Um, basically, it's about a nerdy forensic accountant who works in the police department. That is Will Ferrell's character, Alan uh, Gamble. And his partner, un unwilling partner, is Mark Wahlberg's character, Terry Hoyts, um, who has been teamed up with Will Ferrell's character as punishment for accidentally shooting New York Yankees baseball star Derek Jeter, for which he's never been forgiven by the uh, baseball establishment of New York. Michael Keaton plays the boss of the precinct uh, who has to supplement his job with a second job working in a department store. Um, Steve Coogan plays a uh, sort of hapless British villain. Um, and cameos by the last two actors I mentioned. Uh, there is also a shocking uh, potential spoiler here, so I'm not going to mention it, but I will say, um, even if you just start watching this uh, and decide you don't like it, make sure you watch the first 10 minutes because they're pretty bloody good. I'm not a huge Will Ferrell fan, Finey. I, I think his material is very up and down. I'm not as wrapped in things like The Anchorman as some, but I thought this was a very funny movie and I liked it a lot. The other guys. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times, maybe three times, because sort of it's a good one to share with teenage boys. So when they got a bit older, we watched it. And, yeah, it's, it's really good fun. And you're right, without doing a spoiler, it actually does something that I've always wished a movie would do, and it finally happens in this movie. Yeah. See what yeah. that is. Yeah. It's a good, fun movie. I agree. I don't really love Will Ferrell movies. I love Will Ferrell from Saturday Night Live. Many great sketches. Very funny bloke. But this one is a lot better. It's, and also, there's a, a great little subplot, and we can say this, you know, he's got this most wonderful wife, but he doesn't really see her as being beautiful. It's quite, it's, it's funny, isn't it? It is. No, it's a, it's a really, really good film. All right, your choice. Okay, my choice, and uh, apologies, but I'm not apologising. Once again, the Cohen brothers, and this time in 2010, they did their take on the uh, novel, I think written by a guy called Portis, can't remember his first name, called True Grit. The book was written in 1968. And in 1969, John Wayne starred in a mega blockbuster movie called True Grit. But in 2010, 
the Coen brothers did their version, and it's brilliant. It's uh, the story of a 14-year-old girl whose father has been killed, and she is determined, absolutely hell-bent, on bringing the killer to justice, where in the Wild West nobody seems to care less whether he's brought to justice or not. The only person she can get to take up the job of hunting him into Indian Territory is a drunken, washed-up sheriff by the name of Rooster Cogburn, uh, played originally by John Wayne, but this time played by Jeff Bridges. And he chases him, and it just so happens that also hot on his tail is a sort of um, stiff-lipped, you know, by-the-rules, almost nerdish uh, Texas Ranger played by Matt Damon. Now, again, being a Coen Brothers movie, the beauty is in the dialogue and the cinematography. It's very true to the novel. The standout star, even though you've got Bridges and Damon in this movie, is young Hayley, um, Hayley Steinfeld or Steinfeld. She received an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress. This movie was nominated for 10 Academy Awards and won none. But it's a great movie, True Grit. Again, if you, it, it's not like Coen Brothers movies. Most of them are sort of allegorical and a bit quirky. This is a straight retelling of the novel. And if you like period pieces, this is beautifully done. And a bit of a segue to your TV show, because your favourite TV from 2010 is a great period piece, Robin. It is, and uh, that was going to be my my main selling point of it. Um, I've got to say, I, I haven't ended up watching the entire series. I, I, I forgot what distracted me, but I watched about eighty percent of it. It is brilliantly done. Uh, I'm talking about Boardwalk Empire, set in Atlantic City, New Jersey, during the Prohibition period of the 1920s, and the uh, well, the um, bootlegging that is done as a result of Prohibition. But uh, if ever there's a show that basically revolves around one brilliant performance, and that's not to say the other characters aren't, aren't great and well played, but this is a bit of a tour de force, isn't it, for Steve uh, Bashimi or Bashimi? I've never worked out how to pronounce it. Yeah, Bashimi. Um, um, absolutely Brilliant performance by Steve Bashimi as Enoch Nucky Thompson, uh, who is a, uh, well, what is he, a politician, crook, uh, con man, you name it, he's up to his neck in it. But absolutely brilliantly played his character by Steve Bashimi. Five seasons, Boardwalk Empire, 56 episodes. Great storylines, uh, very, uh, you do get very caught up in the drama. But it is, it's, it's one of the, dare I say it, um, you know, where uh, style is almost taking precedence over substance. But it is so stylish, uh, down to the use of music for it, uh, the lighting, um, the way those uh, 1920s visages are recreated. Uh, lovingly and with attention to detail, it really you watch it and you really do get immersed in that period uh, in a very convincing manner. So um, yeah, I will get to the end of it one day, boy. I've got a lot of viewing on the go at the moment, but that is certainly one I should pick up where I left off. 
Uh, very, very highly acclaimed uh, and a very popular show with some justification. Boardwalk Empire, my pick from 2010. Rowan, do not pick it up where you left it. Oh, no good. Well, the problem is after four seasons, there were still four seasons to run, but it was extremely expensive to make and the viewership, they sort of suffered by it, it. was a TV show and the last of the TV shows that weren't really made with an eye to the fact that people binge and download and stuff like that. And it got caught up in that very expensive to make, you know, big, big costs for the strong cast. And so they crammed four seasons into the one last year and really rushed the endings with, you know, as you say, Nucky Thompson's a great character. My favourite is Chalky White. The African American gangster in the movie, in the TV. You know what's great about Boardwalk Empire? That it interweaves fiction and fact. So many of the characters are real, factual, historical characters, and many of them are fictional characters. That's pretty clever, don't you reckon? I do. My favorite program from 2010 is far more simple. In fact, TV doesn't come more simple, and I bloody love it. It's a little game show called Letters and Numbers. Ah, yes. Uh, Hosted by Richard Moorcroft. The letters are adjudicated by David Astle, who's now the evening host on the ABC radio. And the numbers are taken care of by the mathematically brilliant and attractive, to boot, I must say, Lily Cerner. You know what's amazing about this program, Rowan? Simple format, you get letters, you've got to make words, you get numbers, you've got to get closest to the you know, number given by a quick mathematical formula. That program ran from September 2010 till June 2012. That's all. Have a guess how many episodes they shot. How many? 450. Wow. They make for long days on the set. 18 months. 450 episodes and they still replay them because I guess they've got a you know a lot of big catalogue and they can play them ad nauseum based on a French program originally called Chiffre des Chiffres et des Lettres and in England do you know what the program's called? Uh, no. Countdown obviously was never going to be called Countdown in Australia because of the confusion with Molly's great music program, so we call it Letters and Numbers. Uh, yes, one of those shows had a real strong cult following, didn't it? I, I never really tuned into it, but I can imagine that that would certainly attract your fancy. Um, all right, let's finish off with a footy memory. And, uh, well, 2010, what a dramatic football season this was. Uh, and when I speak of dramatic can't get more drama than the last game of the season, that one day in September, which ended up becoming one day in October because we had to have a grand final replay. 2010, the third and final grand final draw. And uh, I tell you what, my, my, uh, my favourite thing about that is that, uh, what, from 1897 to 2010, how many... 
century. How many seasons is that? Oh, I don't know, 120 odd. There were only three grand final draws, and I was at two of them finding. And um, I remember this very, very well because uh, it's fair to say that uh, I was one of perhaps a handful of people in the crowd. It was probably just me and Andrew Demetrio who in the final frenzied seconds of play were the only ones barracking for the draw because I was just so engrossed by the game and the storyline. I just wanted to do it all again the following week. And, of course, like the other grand final replays, that was an anti-climax as well. But uh, I think there's been, you know, there's been plenty of better grand finals, but I I can't think of any um, that were more dramatic and filled with as much tension as the last quarter of that 2010 grand final between Collingwood and St Kilda. Of course, the Pies should have been a lot further up than four goals at half time, But the Saints came charging home and they, well, they had all the momentum. Brendan Goddard, of course, taking that classic high mark and putting the Saints in front only for Travis Cloak to put the Pies back up by one point before that fateful bounce of the footy, which eluded Stephen Milne. Sorry to do this to you, Finey. We're all familiar with the storyline. But uh, rather than talk about individual moments, we all know them. Uh, Just that sense of frenzied um, tension that existed in the final moments. And when you watch the replay, you can see it in the shots of the crowd. Everyone looks like they were about to throw up from nerves. And, uh, And then the finish of the game out on the wing, uh, when it looked like the Saints might just snatch it uh, at the death. Uh, what an incredible, incredibly gripping grand final that was. So uh, that is my favourite footy memory from 2010. What's yours? Yeah, just on that game, you know, when Sam Fisher got the ball that he ultimately kicked to Maxwell and that resulted in the goal to Cloak, I mean, it was a great mark by Maxwell. You can only see this just on the replay, but at the ground, I saw a plain as day. And, of course, I'm screaming, but that doesn't mean for anything. Justin Kofitsky had just run on the ground. Now, you talk to Cozzy about it, as I have. If Sam Fisher would have seen him or heard him, he was certainly within kicking distance. He was all on his own. He was off to the races. There was no stopping him. He just had the entire... Grant uh, member side wing to himself, but Sam didn't see him and conservatively went down the line, which was the right thing to do, I guess. So there's a moment lost for St Kilda. It was a bit of pill to swallow given the result the week after for St Kilda fans, but for me, the one great saving grace was that my favourite player of all time, and that's you know hard to say because I loved Robert Harvey and many other St Kilda players as well. But for me, Lenny Hayes is the one. My favourite saint of all time. Winning the Norm Smith medal. God, he's a magnificent player. And he was magnificent that afternoon. How about that goal he kicked in the last quarter, Rowan? I mean... Yeah, never, never. I don't think anyone thought he was going to make the journey. No, thought he had a kick outside 50 in him as a goal. But cometh the man, cometh the hour, and he just finished that game powerfully along with Goddard. He played a great game. and So at least he received one of the game's highest honours, which I just know that he deserves. Such a wonderful bloke as well. All about the team. 
a really good individual, a good person, and I'm so pleased that he won a Norm Smith, albeit in a drawn grand final that St Kilda would not convert into a premiership. So that's my highlight of 2010. Yeah, no, good call. Good call. Uh, he, is, he is a terrific guy, Lenny Hayes, isn't he? I, I've never, ever heard anyone say a bad word about him. Terrific fella. Um, all right, that is 2010 revisited in terms of music, movies, TV and football. What a packed show this has been, but it wouldn't be the Footyology podcast without the traditional final segment. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, let's go. There was only one topic that I was going to ever rant about this week, Finey. I reckon you can guess what it is. Uh, please count me in. Three, two, Eddie. I'm pissed off with Eddie Maguire, Finey. Yeah, so who isn't, I hear you ask. But this time it's for a different reason from the usual topics of casual racism, bullying, crass sexism, and a tendency toward verbal diarrhoea. Now, this time it's because Ed might well have this week finally pushed the art of spin to a point where there is absolutely nowhere left for an entire industry to go. I mean, you've got to give the bloke points for chutzpah. You've got to because if you don't think that's what his attempt to rebrand the circumstances in which Collingwood found itself on Monday, you've got nothing else except complete and utter delusion. I'm giving him the benefit of a doubt on that score, though seeing there's every chance that after last night's Collingwood annual general meeting, Ed might actually have to issue an apology for the apology for the apology, that might be the safest course of action. But I reckon if you can commission a report into some pretty disturbing allegations, have that report confirm what you feared, sit on it for six weeks despite promising full and immediate disclosure, call a press conference only when the thing is finally leaked to the media, and then attempt to paint it all like some sort of great occasion, you've pretty much rewritten the rule book on how public relations work. It's often said that we're living in the era of post-truth. And in the United States, the recently departed Trump administration set a new benchmark on that score with its coining and frequent use of alternative facts. But this move was on a whole new level. And it actually reminded me of another former American president, Richard Nixon. This report might not have been Watergate, Finey, but Eddie's bold PR gambit made me wonder whether Tricky Dicky would have got himself into quite so much trouble had he fessed up about what had happened with the break-in and bugging of Democrat headquarters. If it had been Eddie in charge, Nixon might have got away with it by proclaiming the theft and spying mission as a great day for the United States because it heralded a new era in the business of information sharing. I mean, just think of all the seemingly awkward situations that might have panned out differently with a bit of Maguire spin. Last Monday, for example, was the 40th anniversary of the infamous underarm incident when Australia's Trevor Chappell prevented New Zealand from hitting a six to tie a one-day match at the MCG by rolling the ball along the pitch to Kiwi batsman Brian McKechnie. It caused a furor not only in the cricket world, but a rift between the two countries' governments. But if it had been Eddie as Aussie skipper and not Greg Chappell, no problem. He just would have explained at the post-game press conference that this was merely providing cricket authorities with a chance to get rid of some quirks in the rule book. A great day. Cricket should have been grateful to the Aussies for drawing this anomaly to the rule makers' attention. 
Indeed, the possibilities with the Maguire School of Spin are endless, way beyond the confines of just sport. The assassination of JFK? Merely a tremendous opportunity for the US to improve presidential security. What about the Second World War? That was simply Adolf Hitler demonstrating to the rest of Europe how easily visits to a series of different nations can be bundled into a convenient package tour. What a boon for the travel industry. And the current global pandemic, I hear you ask? No problem. Forget millions of deaths and the wrecking of economies. We could be celebrating employment opportunities for the pharmaceutical industry, the removal of aged carers an issue by simply wiping out a generation, and simultaneously freeing up housing and reducing urban congestion. These aren't horrendous moments in world history, Fanny. They're golden opportunities. Proud days indeed. But the best part of it is, if you get called out and trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, you just turn around and say you got it wrong. Not the thing you actually did get wrong, though, i.e. a total misreading of the public mood and failure to understand the significance of an important issue, but because people supposedly didn't realise that when you meant proud, you actually meant embarrassing, humiliating and completely and utterly tone deaf. Public relations will never be the same again, Forney, and nor will the phrase disingenuous bullshit, because this little episode has rendered that completely redundant. I tell you what, it might have run a, a couple of seconds over, but I think that's almost your very best. <laughs> Sorry, it was a bit wordy, but uh, yeah, I did. Oh, to... it was great. And also, uh, Shiner Yingle, Rowan Connolly, Sprack a bit of Yiddish. You put chutzpah in there. Chutzpah. Fantastic. You, you, a Yiddish word. Well done. I, I hope I didn't mangle the pronunciation. I, I used to. I, no, I, no, you did it very nicely. I admit I did used to pronounce that as chutzpah. Uh, but that was there, also. There used the, to be a horse. There was a horse in Sydney many years ago called chutzpah, who some, who some race called was called chutzpah. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, all right. I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, rant. Hang on. Hang on. It must be here somewhere. Oh, come on. What are you looking for now? Summer. Where on earth is summer? Where's the hot weather? Look, apparently, I didn't watch it. There was a big battle between global warming and El Nina. El Nina, having taken out El Nino, without my prior knowledge either. And have a guess who won? Little El Nina. And isn't it bloody typical? All my life, I've lived without a swimming pool. I mean, I'm not complaining. We had a tennis court growing up and very lucky we were too. But on a 40-degree day, there's not a solace, a lot of solace you can take with the backyard made up predominantly of car. Growing up, no pool. Get a family, family house, lovely backyard, space for a swimming pool. We went for a trampoline. It was good. Only two of the four kids broke legs and a lot easier to keep clean. But finally, we'd moved to a place with a swimming pool, all ready for a searingly hot Melbourne summer. Yes, there are some days that aren't burning hot, but you get your 40s, you get your high 30s. No, not this year. I've got the pool, but I ain't got the weather. You know, tomorrow in Melbourne, they're forecasting 30 and saying that it's going to be an extremely hot day and to take care and make sure that you're prepared for the hot weather. What are we, the bloody English? All of a sudden, 30's hot. I remember when 30 was a cool change. 
I have prepared for a hot summer and it hasn't come. I've got 12 packs of Zupa Dupas in the freezer. That's 240 Zupa Dupas just clattering around in my freezer, waiting for the right day to quench thirsts and to sate hot and tempered kids. But no, no hot weather. Slip, slop, slap. I've been slipping on a bloody wind feeder. I've been slapping on, well, more coverings and gloves. I've even put the old scarf on. No, this summer has not happened. Bloody typical. And my pool's clean, unlike yours, Rowan. It was all ready to go. I'm going to go the Connolly method. It'll be black next summer. It'll probably be a scorcher. Uh, very, very pertinent observation. I was just thinking that the other day. Although, finally, see, if you had taken that issue to the Maguire School of Spin, it wouldn't have been the missing summer. It would have been a fantastic, proud, golden opportunity to save on air conditioning bills. Yeah, great. Look, nothing wrong with a good spin, but there's no spinning. The fact that I have cleaned my swimming pool religiously for the last three months for nothing, for nada. There's been, I was fair dinkum, there's been two swimming days. Yeah, it has been one of the worst summers ever. Uh, And this has been not one of the worst episodes ever. I think this has been a good one. And uh, we need to finish off in style by thanking our wonderful sponsors, Finey. Winter, spring, summer or fall, all you have to do is enjoy an Andrew's hamburger, no matter what the bloody weather. Honestly. Good when it's cold, good when it's hot, good when it's in between. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. It's a simple formula. Best buns, best meat, best other stuff, best burgers. Oh, surely, you had to, surely you had to finish off that plug by saying you've got a friend at Andrew's Hamburgers. Yeah. Who was that? Was that um, uh, James Taylor? James Taylor, yeah. Not one of my favourite songs. Tell you what would be one of my favourite places to live if I could put my keister in a West Point property rebuild or new build by Nick Spartels, that would put a smile on the old dial. Winter, spring, summer or fall. Because all you'd have to do is call Nick Spartels at West Point Properties. I finally got it out. And he'll be there. You've got a friend. And uh, you probably uh, don't want to hear that last bit. Uh, thanks for your company, everyone. Uh, enjoyed today. hope you did too. Uh, please support us both on our ACAST supporter page or at the Footyology website where there is a stack of great reading uh, at the moment. Some terrific pieces been written recently by a variety of contributors and you can read them all and hopefully also be encouraged to become a Footyology patron at patreon uh there's plenty of links on the website if you would like to uh join us on this tremendous journey which for the time being temporarily comes to its conclusion we'll see you next week